I was sheriff of this county when I was 25 years old. Hard to believe. My grandfather was a lawman, father too. Me and him were sheriffs at the same time, him up in Plano and me out here. I think he's pretty proud of that. I know I was. Some of the old time sheriffs never even wore a gun. A lot of folks find that hard to believe. Jim Scarborough never carried one. That's the younger Jim. Gaston Borkins wouldn't wear one up in Comanche County. I always like to hear about the old timers. Never missed a chance to do so. You can't help but compare yourself against the old timers. Can't help but wonder how they'd have operated these times. There's this boy I sent to the electric chair at Huntsville here a while back. My arrest and my testimony. He killed a 14-year-old girl. Papers said it was a crime of passion, but he told me there wasn't any passion to it. Told me that he'd been planning to kill somebody for about as long as he could remember. Said if they turned him out, he'd do it again. Said he knew he was going to hell. Be there in about 15 minutes. I don't know what to make of that. I surely don't. The crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's not that I'm afraid of it. I always knew you had to be willing to die to even do this job. But I don't want to push my chips forward and go out and meet something I don't understand. The man would have to put his soul at hazard. You'd have to say, okay. I'll be part of this world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your host. I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Jeremy Blair. And, uh... Sorry, this is actually the first time uh, an episode comes out in real time, so when we say sorry for getting this episode out late, we actually mean it. Yeah, sorry for getting this episode out late. It'll be up probably tomorrow. Yes. Uh, or today. It'll... Uh, <laughs> you know what? We're we're recording this on a Wednesday. It'll be out tomorrow, which is a Thursday. So yes. we're really sorry. That's my fault. Well, I mean, it's not entirely your fault. We did try. Uh, we were going to try to record Sunday, but, you know, the weather had other plans... You know, you and Haley also were celebrating another uh, uh, wedding, you know, other, celebrating another Yeah, dude, love another wedding, thing. yeah. Um, yeah. You know what's so crazy? Uh, before we get into the episode, it's funny that y'all have gone to two weddings already. When at my job, I've experienced nothing but soon-to-be divorced people. Amazing. It's insane. Oh, we- there was a woman there. I mean... Sorry, Haley. I I'm not going <laughs> to name... I won't name names. But <laughs> there was one of the bridesmaids... Um, it's funny you mentioned that one of the bridesmaids is, is going through a, a separation <laughs> and her husband groomsman. Oh, that, that must yeah. have been an awkward thing looking across. She sat at her table <laughs> and let me guess. She guess, complained guess how much fun she was, uh, as a barrel of monkeys. Oh yeah. Just, uh, a just like a face ripping off monkeys. That's she's, like she's it. just like. Buttering the bread like, and then then he did this. Yeah, you know? she wasn't. She was just a downer. And you're just like, like, please more wine. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I drink a lot of wine. You're like, wait, whole bottle. Yeah, just the, the just the bottle. Dude, they had some wine that tastes like church wine. 
That's what, pretty good. What's church wine? Well, you know, but ca- then again, I'm Catholic. So, well, so. I was about to say you grew up Catholic, so yeah. I don't know what church wine is. Church wine is the wine they give you at church, and uh, <laughs> I didn't know it was so simple. I mean, that's a noble simplification of the events, but yes, um, church wine. Church wine is wine they give you at church, and it's what they give kids, and um, <laughs> on their first communion, which oh younger than you'd think, and um, you know, it's. You- pretty good it's not bad like you know, it's not too sweet and it's not the dry kind you're not uh helping the you know the people who think that uh, well it's because priests, they don't need help <laughs> you know it's because i don't want to help and they don't you know need or want my help and so, um, so what you're saying is it's doubt all, all the time dude that movie's great that's a future episode doubt i've always uh, wanted to see it it's good because i love me some Philip Seymour Hoffman. And uh, we love some play adaptations, so that'll definitely be a future episode. But I already, um, I will give a little teaser for the end of the episode. I already know my theme for next season. Oh, My personal theme. Even though the logo probably won't match that. No, of course not. (laughs) No. And I'll tell you, no, it's not going to. But, um... But I, I'm I'm excited. So yes, uh, and I'll even tease our bonus episode. Yes. Yeah, so before we get into the movie, everyone, uh, we mentioned it last week. Uh, we are nearing the end of season five. This is Jeremy's last episode, and then we get into the series. Last which, pick. I mean, I'll be well. You know, yeah, yeah. His, he's yeah. dying after this. <laughs> no, his the last pick for this season. Then we get into uh, the end of series season, which I got to pick this time around, and I'm very excited because I've been really waiting to talk about those movies. Um, and then you surprised me with a bonus episode. Yeah, we'll have a bonus, and I'll and I'll tell you in real time at the end of the episode what it's going to be. And yes, and then uh, we will have a new logo for season six. Hard to believe we've already had six seasons of this. Yeah, I you know Facebook tells me you know like hey a year ago you posted this and I was like oh we were in season three yeah. a year ago that's crazy. Yeah, if we followed uh, TV logic we wouldn't have a new season until the next year started. Yeah, and I don't like that. I enjoy no. this too much, and I, I'd be sad. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, back to the episode. Uh, if you tuned in last week, we are discussing No Country for Old Men, which I tried very desperately to figure out what that meant, and hopefully oh, maybe... and I will tell you what it meant. Okay, good. I was hoping you'd shine some light on that, because... I, you know, I read that it came from a poem, and I read the bit of the poem that that's included, and I was like, that still you tells still me. So still let's tells me jump nothing. right in. So um, if Rain did his job right, you just, um, before our bullshit in the beginning, uh, you listen to the opening narration. Um, if you're if you skipped it or just now tuned in, it's two minutes long. So there's two minutes of narration, <laughs> and then yeah. We come in. It's the opening narration to the film, uh, which I love. It's it's one of the reasons I rewatch it so much is because it starts off with this opening narration, which describes the entire theme of the film. So let's break it down. This will explain the uh, the title. Okay. Tommy Lee Jones, uh, he's the sheriff, mm-hmm. and he is talking about how he got into this business and how it's going. Right. Right. How he got to be a lawman. It was his dad. Mm -hmm. And uh, he used to love to talk to what he called the old timers, the guys who had been sheriffs for years and years or had been in law for years and years and years and loved to hear their stories and loved to chat with them and, you know, bond with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we get this story of this guy that he had arrested that killed a 14 year old girl. 
And he described that the papers had spun it as a crime of passion. But when he spoke to this gentleman, uh, he said, it wasn't passion. I wanted to kill someone for a long time. And if mm. you'd let me out, I'll do it again. And, and his character is so, is so shaken by this that he just doesn't understand. He does it, His world up until this point has been a, a motive for every action, right? Mm-hmm. He can wrap his head around or at least understand motives. He understands right. why people do what they do. It's been a very simplistic living he's led yeah. up until this point. This is the breaking point. So this is where... Because he even mentions um, most of those old-timers never really even carried their gun. No. Um, and the younger Jim. Um, yeah. Never carried one. God, I love the way they speak in this film. Their, mm. their vernacular is just amazing and their cadence and everything about the dialogue is so, tremendous. I want to take a, just a quick little sidebar sure. to talk about the, the how they speak in this movie. Um, By the way, I know people like this. I know people oh, who talk we, like oh, this. We both do. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I, I this is the, the perfect representation of people from West Texas. West Texas. Because yeah. uh, the sheriff that Tommy Lee Jones is the sheriff of Terrell County, we looked it up. It is a real county. It is five hours away from Midland. Uh, they mentioned Odessa, which... Which makes sense because that's where they run into trouble. Which which so. is kind of funny uh, because uh, his wife says, who wants to go to Odessa? I was like, exactly. Exactly. She gets it. I do. I work there. <laughs> um, but no, like most films that take place in West Texas, I feel don't represent it properly. The next closest I would say is, uh, you, you may be mad at me, but it's okay. I don't care. Uh, the Iron Orchard. Um, oh, I was going to say Hell or High Water, but... Uh, oh, yeah, Hell or High Water. Yeah. But but still, I mean, The Iron Orchard was filmed in right, Big in Spring. Western. Yeah, right, 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 right. But anyway, yeah, so I just wanted to point that out. Being from, uh, both would, of us being from West Texas. I would argue any any regional film that Richard Linklater does. because he's, oh, oh, yeah. Because he's from Texas. So yeah, that's true. He gets it. So it, no one's, you know, specifically, it, this is a bad example, but because this film is so specific, but in his films, you know, no one's riding a horse, no one's wearing a cowboy hat. This is contemporary living in Texas, right? And right. so no one has a really thick accent uh, that you can distinguish and whatever. So this is obviously a different example. Well, because, well yeah, especially from uh, the directors who, I don't know where the Coen brothers are from, but they are definitely not from Texas. And no, they... Not, I don't think it's their first Texas story because I think Blood Simple takes place in Texas. And... Well, not for sure. Oh man, I don't remember. I love Blood Simple. Anyway, so anyway, so I just yeah, I just wanted to give the little 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 shout out that they nailed it with the West Texas vibe. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, I know tons of people like this, right? Yes. Um, my dad is kind of like this. <laughs> um, his would, friends, my you know his mm-hmm. you know just tons and tons of people. Um, anyway, anyway, so. I'm about to blow your mind because here is where the title comes from. He is now with telling the story uh, of this, of this man who murdered that young girl for fun, almost Mm -hmm. that he no longer understands the world he lives in. Uh, See, right before you said it, I was like, 
I think this, I might have just figured it he out. is now in a country that is not for him. He is now in a world that isn't his. He is uh, a relic in this new, uh, very confusing, very frightening, very uncertain world. And and not to jump ahead, because we will talk about it. It's even more seen now that you said it, because it, it makes sense. Because Tommy Lee Jones has another monologue where he feels like this world is, he doesn't belong here anymore when he's right. talking to his uncle. Yeah. He doesn't belong here anymore. No. God damn it. I can't believe I didn't figure it out. So. I think reading the poem is what confused me. Because the poem does not answer the question of no country for old men. It just, it's a, that's a brief line within the poem and then that's it. Right. And so I think that's why I was like, what the fuck does that even so mean? So this is the entire theme of the film. If you really want to watch this film in its, with its intention, don't think of Llewellyn as the main character. Think of the main character as Tommy Lee John. And I don't remember his name. Uh, oh, um, shit. At, at the moment. And Tom. Okay. Because uh, when he's in El Paso, uh, the sheriff there calls him Ed Tom. And even his wife calls him Ed Tom. So, um, Sheriff Tom. We'll just do that. Yeah. So, Sheriff Tom doesn't belong anymore, right? Mm-hmm. He is of a time that is no longer, or he is of a mindset and of a motive of operations that is no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't go on thinking the way he does and survive, right? right. Because he won't make it, mm-hmm. right? So, which leads us into our um, introduction of our antagonist. Yeah. Maybe the scariest antagonist we've ever talked about. Oh, yeah, um, man. Because he's almost like, and this is a really dumb example, but it's on the only thing that pops in my mind right now, is uh, he's almost like the Joker where we don't know anything about him. I wouldn't say that's a dumb example at all, we man. We just, we, he's there and he's doing horrible things. Anton Sugar might not even be his real name. Oh yeah, right. you know the, the 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 most we get is in Woody Harrelson's description right. to Stephen Root, and not even then that's he that's not even like a backstory. That's no, just, it's just letting us know he's familiar with Anton Chigurh, right? Yeah, it's, that's it. Uh, well, and man, Javier Bardem is amazing. Yeah, um, I agree. I know you're not a huge fan of these films, but I absolutely loved him in Skyfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skyfall was good. Of course, yeah. Well, as we both agree, Skyfall is. Not as good as Casino Royale, but it's good. Out of out of the four James Bond movies, Daniel Craig James Bond movies come out, Skyfall is one of the higher points. Okay. Uh, as I've told you, it goes Casino Royale, high point, Quantum of Solace, low point. And Skyfall, high point again, and then Spectre, low point. And Zach just skipped 30 seconds ahead. So, <laughs> welcome back, Zach. Uh, but anyway, point being... Uh, Javier really knows how to play a very menacing villain. And the great thing with Anton is he doesn't show a lot of emotion. The only emotion we get is in his first scene when mm-hmm. he strangles. Yes, because he's the having deputy. to put in effort. Yes. Right. And um, I love, and I think I only noticed it this go around. Now, I've seen this movie tons of times. Uh-huh. Right. I didn't notice the scuffs weren't there when they started oh, right yeah. on the floor because when he gets to um, 
to taking off his handcuffs and walk in that direction, we see them disappear on the floor, right? And so those oh. scuff marks are just from that altercation, right? Mm-hmm. So I like the visual language of that. Um, I had never noticed it the first time, or the fifth or tenth time. Uh, so wait, so you mean like after it's all said and done, and he's cleaning well, his he's, wrist? he's walking... Uh, there's a there's still a brief shot before the the hard cut to the sink, and as he's walking, we see the scuff lines. You see where it sort of stops, and, uh, and the floor is clean after that. And so it's just their boots that have yeah. made those scuffs. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, I just want to make sure I was still fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. which I thought was really cool. It's a great, is a nice touch. I had, again, I had never noticed it before. So that was it's cool that this movie is so dense that I can still. Oh yeah, uh, learn yeah. things and and still notice things. It's almost uh, in real time too. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh, well, I'll I'll splurge on the director uh, the direction later. <laughs> so, Anton Sugar is this ultimate killing machine. Yeah. Okay. Um, not only does he use um, this insane apparatus uh, that is used to kill cattle, which mm-hmm. we later find out. Um, and I think we'll get there. So, and of course, his infamous shotgun with a big Sil- ass silencer <laughs> on it. Which uh, the first time I saw this film, I actually had to research uh, to see if that was even could even happen. And yeah, shotguns have silencers, and yeah, they're that big. They're gigantic, right? Um, and the sound is awesome. is it's awesome and just as menacing as he is. Yeah, just that. Almost like a, uh, almost like his other weapon of a, a bolt gun. Yeah, the the bolt gun, it scares you the first time when he um, pulls mm-hmm. over that motorist mm-hmm. and kills him on the side of the road. It scares you because you're not expecting it. Yeah, and this brings me to another point and a point that you brought up last time, last week. It's still last week. Um, <laughs> is the there's no music. Yes, and so by that. I was thinking about fun ways to describe how it changes the film. And I came up with this example. Tell me if it makes sense. Okay. You're watching a band on stage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's say it's taking back Sunday. I'm wearing their shirt. (laughs) And we have our emo band shirts on wonder years and taking back Sunday. And so let's say you're watching them on stage. Okay. The bass player takes his hand away from the strings and just moves his fingers on the, on the frets. Nothing. He's just moving his fingers around air in front mm-hmm. of his base. Oh, okay. You see him moving his his hands. The base stopped. You're not going to consciously know the base stopped. Mm-hmm. You're just going to know something's off. Something's not quite right. Something doesn't sound right. 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 It's something so subtle, like, and this has been, you know, said you know, about music that the bass seems unnecessary until you don't have it. Right. Yeah. And then it changes the entire uh, composition of the music. Right. Mm -hmm. So using a musical example, this film doesn't have music. So it, you don't get, you don't get cues. You don't get heads up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Movies famously ruin things by using music cues. I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, I use I use Marvel examples all the time, but you know they're even though the music in Marvel movies is phenomenally phenomenally scored, especially with the Avengers movies of Alan Silvestri, who also did 
Back to the Future. But sometimes, I would agree that sometimes those cues, when the tense music starts to come in, you know, okay, something's about to happen. Right. Especially if you're, you know, paying attention and you're keen to these sort of tropes, right? Right. Of the music cues and sort of giving you a warning almost. As were this movie. <sighs> Things just happen and they happen. And you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? the, the first time I ever saw this movie, it I, I really loved your example about the bass um, because I did I did the whole movie the first time I ever saw it. I was like, something is off. And it wasn't literally until Fade to Black, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. I was like, there's no score. And then the music starts in the, uh, in yeah. the credits, right? You're like, oh, that's what it is. Mm. Now, I will tell you this. Before we move on, I want to say that when I saw this movie for the first time, I was a freshman in high school. We were freshmen in high school, I should okay. say. Um, I didn't get it. I loved it, but I didn't get it, right? Mm. I think the the reason I'm so drawn to this movie and the reason I love it so much is because through time, mm -hmm. through years, I get to piece it together and understand why this movie ended the way it did, why this movie... Uh, why the narrative structure went the way it did, right? Why, yeah. <laughs> why didn't Anton get caught? Why didn't Llewellyn, why didn't I get to see him die? Right. Mm -hmm. These are questions that have answers that when I was 14, I just didn't get. And I don't think 14 year olds can. Well, and you know, and this is sort of a tangent, but it plays into what you were just talking about. It, you know, that's the same could be said about most films mm -hmm. is that, when you're a kid and you see these films, you don't understand it. You know, you don't, you know, get the the emotion. You know, I'm trying to think of a movie. I mean, that maybe Scorsese's kid can. Well, yeah, because she's because she has a father who spells it out for her, like, you better get it. Right. But no. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, see, I would agree. Like, I didn't get it either the first time I saw it and I think I saw it later than you I think I don't I don't think I saw it until I was like a, a sophomore in high school that's his year um well but still uh and I think I ripped it and grip it Ooh. <laughs> uh but I didn't really get it either but I, I enjoyed it I was just like but but why though more I think more so with the ending I think that's what confused me the most. And we'll get there. Yes, uh, for sure. But no, I, I, I see what you're saying. That, it, But that's I think that's a great thing about getting older, too, is that we then we pick up on these things. Right. So, and my first gush of the direction, it, it's a testament to Joel and Ethan Cohen, who, as you know, and I'm sure our listeners know, I love very dearly. Uh, I think they are phenomenal directors, Uh Granted, I think when we did Inside Lewis Davis, I think they are a little bit sadistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, just considering that's a comedy in their eyes. <laughs> but still love those guys, and this this film is no no different. So, so anyway. Let's talk about Llewellyn. Josh Brolin. Thanos. Yeah. Josh Brolin. Um, okay. So, again, years it took for me to piece together his involvement because like I, I understood he got the money. I get that. 
Mm. That's all really a 14-year-old needs to understand yeah. <laughs> to why he's being chased down. But it was right. like, well, why did he go back out there? It was to get the guy water. I'd completely forgotten about that. It was, mm-hmm. you know, like, obviously, like, the second time I watched it, I got it. But right. this is just a comparison to the first time. So, um, Llewellyn is just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. And you would also say Llewellyn is, he's sort of, he's, he's a risk taker because oh, he took 100%. the money. Well, not only that, but he took everyone's guns too, which I thought was so badass. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, he's a Texan through and through. And yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Cause most, most people, well, well, let me rephrase. Most, uh, well-to-do people would probably have seen that and been like, I'm going to call the authorities. Yeah, peace out. But not Llewellyn. I'm out. Uh, Llewellyn goes, oh, is that an Uzi? Cool, I wanted one of those. Yo, are those uh, those dead bodies in there? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to go stand by me. I'm going to go check that shit out. Um, for, for fun, I was picking on Haley. and um, <laughs> Sounds so mean when you start it like that. For fun, I was picking on my girlfriend. Because we were watching it together, and I and when uh, the guy in the car was, I see a lot of puerta. Uh, Lobos, you know, I was like, he said to close, she speaks Spanish. Like, she speaks fluent Spanish. <laughs> and I go, he said to close the door because of the wolf. She goes, I know. I go, oh, oh um, sorry. Which, again, I like that they didn't put subtitles there because I, I, because that would imply. Well, I'm glad you told me what that meant because I didn't know what it meant. And it meant close the door because of the wolf. And, uh, and the only one I got was when he, he was asking for water. Llewellyn said, there aren't any wolves, right? Um, ain't no lobos, ain't no wolves. Yeah. Um, and, and so he, we gather there was this, you know, and of course Garrett Dillahunt, my man, uh, sort of describes it when they're on the scene, you know, sort of piecing together what happened after, um, Llewellyn gets chased out of there and blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' deputy. Yeah. Garrett uh, Dillahunt. That's my guy. I well, love uh, that guy. And... The second time we've done a Cormac McCarthy uh, with film. Garrett Delahunt. Yes. Uh, wait, aren't you Cormac McCarthy? Yeah, I'm Cormac McCarthy. Um, oh, no. Has anyone seen Jeremy Cormac McCarthy and the Burger King in the same room? I haven't. <laughs> We're all the same person. <laughs> Welcome back to our final episode. I said that to my mom. She was like, why Burger King? I'm like, well, because he likes Burger King. I do. But, and it's close to your house, and so it's yeah. fast. Uh, anyway, uh, so. Anyway, yes. And yeah, his his description of it. Is, I love and yeah. again it's the way they talk and sort of Garrett Delahunt's character the deputy is sort of uh, is Wendell sort of, I is think sort his of name silly. is uh, Wendell yeah, is I think the horse no Winston Winston's the horse I think I think his name is Sorry, Wendell, Wendell. I don't, well, let's, let's just call him Wendell deputy so oh, there we go deputy we'll call him the deputy because <laughs> I don't know and I probably should at this point since I've seen him like 20 times but anyway but yeah he is, he's a little he's a little goofy and I like him right? but you know kind of because again, now that, and I can't again, I just now figured out the the name of, of the movie why it's called that. He is sort of the personification of the new blood that is going to take over the reins of potentially. You know, we don't see any other deputies, so in the line of succession, he would probably be sheriff yeah. once Tommy Lee Jones steps down, which he does. And, you know, we we see his, 
he, he fumbles, you know. And I think it's because this is the first time he's dealing with something like this, too. I think that right. he's new enough to where he wasn't probably there with that guy who killed that girl, right? Mm. And so, you know, he's just like, whoa. You know, there's all this murder. Like, what's do I pull out my gun at this door? Right? Like, he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But he's having to learn early. And yeah. I think that's what represents this new blood. And I think you're right. Because he is going to be more sophisticated at this by the time he's Tommy Lee Jones's age. Mm-hmm. He's the sheriff's age. And so I think that you're right. He is the representation of this new generation of I'm having to deal with this new type of criminal, right? Which we should mention, the film takes place in 1980. Yes, it does. Uh, we didn't mention that. Uh, and that's another thing I didn't even realize until uh, the the watch, the second, the watching it again. The scene where we find out it's 1980, by the way, for real, is maybe the tensest scene in the entire film where no one dies. Uh, and it's the gas station scene. Um, Give me a second. Hang on, sorry. Yep. No, I can't. I can't have these people listen to nothing. <laughs> Shh, listen to nothing. No. Hang on. Gas what part station. are you confused about? The gas station scene. Oh, God! I'm you got that. it. So anyway, it's widely considered probably the tensest scene in the movie, uh, <laughs> and some of the best uh, face acting by Javier Bardem. Oh yeah, no, that's one of my favorite faces he makes because <laughs> it's so goofy, right? And it's also menacing because he's being sort of playful and goofy. After That's he... terrifying. Oh and, by the way, love this actor. I, I forgot his name also, but... He's, yeah, he, he's been in some stuff I've seen. Yeah, yeah, And um, I think he was in The Sacrament, I think. And that was maybe a, um, a Ty West movie or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So, um, so, anyway, I love that scene. And so when he gets the quarter and he said it's 1958 it's been traveling 22 years uh to get, oh. you gotta do the math but it's 1980 uh, so, so without, yeah. without looking it up they yeah, just yeah i had to look it up <laughs> it's like what does it take because the first time i saw it i knew it wasn't modern but i was like when does this take place right because you know uh, you know as a 15 16 year old kid watching this i'm like where are the cell phones why aren't they you know <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't you know anyway just, 1980 <laughs> They have to do everything uh, old school, which then still, again, maybe I'm reaching, plays into Tommy Lee Jones's, here we are in a new decade, and things have... Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. Um, Here's why the gas station scene is so important. It shows you not only how menacing he can be, but how unpredictable he can be. Mm -hmm. You are convinced this guy's going to die. Oh, yeah. 100%. And you're like, he's gone. I don't even know why we're... The scene is this long. That's the point. That's why the scene is this long. Because it's supposed to convince you and then not give you the payoff, right? It's yeah. similar to... And, of course, so is a lot of themes in this film. is similar to You Were Never Really Here, right? In, mm. its, in its thematic way of violence. Yeah. And in its sort of... Um, it's not a, it's not cookie cutter. It's not going to give you what you think you're going to get. Right. Right. And what is he eating by the way? Because I tried to, okay. Yeah. I couldn't tell, but he, how he even eats one at a time. I, um, 
I'm very uh, sensitive to knowing when peanuts are in a movie. Because so, uh. <laughs> as we established last week, we almost killed Jeremy with peanut butter. Did everyone enjoy the, the artwork, by the way, that I made just for that? Stop that. Um, <laughs> it was good. Anyway. So, um, but yeah. So he's unpredictable, right? So we, yeah. we need to know that we can't trust. We can't even trust that he's going to kill everyone he meets because he doesn't. But, and as we learn from... Uh, Woody Harrelson, when he meets with Llewellyn, um, Anton does have certain principles. And clearly, as as the, the Coens established with that scene at the gas station, one of them is just simple coin toss. He, he is loyal to the coin toss. He does not waver. He's not going to make up his own rules. If he says, call it, he is going to abide by the rules set in motion but you know but then on the flip side too yeah. oh my god we don't know what would have happened if right you know we don't know even if even if he got it right does that mean he still would have killed him or because I, I guess we assume if he had gotten it wrong he was he was gonna die yeah but I I still think there's still some unpredictability with that too because even if he got it right, he could have just killed them. Like, well, you, you got it right, good for you. Boom. And you think that's going to happen anyway? Yeah. And it doesn't. Yeah. He just leaves, and I, you know, there there's something to that. There's something to, you know, imagining because you know, it is said, like you said, it is said that he has principles and he does this more than once. Mm-hmm. So we can. We can infer, we can establish that that's something he doesn't, he doesn't mess around with. He's going to honor the coin toss. Especially, uh, especially in his last menacing words to him, you know, don't put it in your pocket. That's your lucky coin. Because then it'll get mixed up with all the other ones and you'll it'll just be a coin then. And, you're, and, and then he does a silly face. <laughs> I, I I I refer to it as the Shrek face because Shrek oh. Shrek does that to Donkey and the first one. He... Uh, I hope everyone can see that. Oh man! <laughs> but it's it, but it is it is so menacing because like I I think I would be scared shitless, especially like okay okay I'll uh, I'll, I'll leave it out like. It... So let's talk about uh, something that I find fascinating. Um, okay. And it's this trope that's in a few movies, one that we've already talked about in in past seasons. Um, and I want you to think back. Okay. To when um, Shigur breaks into Llewellyn's trailer, okay? Yes. And he, obviously before that, he gets a wonderful West Texas altercation, um, <laughs> which... <laughs> I've seen these altercations. I've been in these altercations. I would say this that is, is pure West Texas. I would say this is probably the only. Uh, I mean, maybe for West Texas with, Tex- <laughs> with Texans, in my opinion, it's the only scene with comedy in it. Well, I would say that even Llewellyn gets his at the uh, at the motel with, no, the, with her, and she's in Hell or High Water. Also, she's the waitress, uh, where she's like, "What don't you want?" You know. Um, which she's wonderful. I love her. I think she she is the embodiment 
of West Texas, <laughs> that actress. <laughs> I don't know what her name is or if she's ever been in anything else besides those two movies. I love her. I can't get enough. Uh, but yeah, no, I just, I found that scene so funny because Anton is just like, where does he work? Because <laughs> you think, okay, may, okay, she's not giving it up. Change my tactic. And he doesn't change at all. No. And sh- neither does she. I cannot give you that information, sir. She doesn't call him sir. She's like, I cannot give out the information of our residence. Where does he work? <laughs> I don't know. I just, again, I agree with you. Because uh, I've also seen and been in those altercations. And it's just pure. I think it's just the accent and the way they're talking. I just love it. Anyway, so I want you to think back. Okay. He breaks into the trailer. Okay. Llewellyn's not there. Yep. He grabs a drink and he sits down. Now... Here's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. He doesn't grab alcohol. He doesn't grab water. He grabs milk. My man, my man, strengthening those bones. Here's why that's important. Okay. It, it's been, and I looked some stuff up. I've heard it before, and I just wanted to double check myself on this one so I could talk about it. Um, is milk in film is significant. It is symbolic. Yes. Let me give you some examples. Okay. And then we'll get to Anton. Okay. Uh, in Rebel Without a Cause. Damn. Deep cut. Um, James Dean picks up as he is struggling um, with, you know, I don't want to get into the movie, but, we, you know, he's he's having a hard time. And yeah. he picks up a glass or a bottle of milk, drinks it, and rubs it on his head, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing it to comfort himself, right? He is between a rock and a hard place with struggling with the, the leaving behind his youth mm-hmm. and going into adulthood and he's right in the middle. Right. And so he's struggling with, you know, his, his actions and his trajectory in life. And oh. where does he belong on the spectrum? Is he still a child or is he becoming an adult? And so that's what that is. Okay. And catch me if you can. Uh, Frank William Abingdale is impersonating a pilot for the first time. He gets on the plane mm-hmm. and is struggling with the jargon. He is now realizing that as confident as he is, he doesn't know enough to have this as smooth as he can, right? He's mm-hmm. going to have to do some improv and he's going to have to think on his feet. He gets in the jump seat. The flight attendant asks him, what does he want to drink? He says milk. Okay. Okay. We are reminded he's a child. We mm-hmm. are reminded that he's out of his element mm-hmm. and he's trying to find comfort, right? This is the symbolism of youth. Uh, he is, we're like, oh, that's right, he's a kid, mm-hmm. right? So, and completely out of his element. And we need to remind ourselves that, you know, he's just a kid who's lost, right? Right. And trying so hard to escape. A Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention it on the episode, and I kick myself for that. because Every it, day since season two. Yeah, it opens with them at the milk bar, right? Yeah. And, of course, this is a twofer. This is, they are children that are committing these atrocities, mm-hmm. right? And in the book, they're even worse, right? Oh, yeah. And so that's one. Two, it's these very menacing and sadistic characters who are manipulating this symbolism of youth uh, because they are the antithesis of that, right? Mm-hmm. They're the antithesis of innocence. Yeah, and especially, so it's a twofer. Especially 
sidebar and in clockwork orange that milk is laced with drugs right. so <laughs> so it's tainting mm-hmm. this the symbolism of of youth and innocence okay so i i think i see where you're going anton 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 is sitting on this couch and he's drinking milk he is using and and consuming this uh, this symbolism of innocence and youth and he's the exact opposite he is asserting his dominance he is subconsciously and symbolically um saying that he has complete autonomy and complete control over the innocent mm-hmm. because he is the antithesis of innocence he's evil right yeah oh yeah so i i wanted to briefly touch on the symbolism of milk in film because i think it's fascinating well and you know and uh, shout out to our very first episode uh yep quentin uses it in inglorious bastards when we meet uh christoph waltz for the first time yeah. and quentin drives that point home with illuminating the light right over the milk yeah very? Those are just those are just a few examples. There's tons oh, uh, yeah, more. I'm sure there's I'm sure we could do a whole damn episode on milk like, in film. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to just talk about milk in film? Don't even get me started on Mad Max Fury Road because uh, uh, dude, mother's milk. That's its whole thing. <laughs> um, so anyway, so. <laughs> Uh, anyway yeah uh, so when when anton is drinking this milk it's it's significant it's not the coen brothers aren't giving him milk for fun i'm sorry if anyone heard that i forgot to mute my computer so he's not he's they're not giving him milk just because it pops on screen which it does i mean it is very that milk is the whitest milk i've ever seen in my life um but yeah no but that does make a lot of sense too um and then almost in contrast with Tommy Lee Jones, right. when they get to the the trailer and he pours himself a glass, it's more, it's, he, it's almost saying, you know, the fact that he pours it into a glass instead of drinking out of the bottle, like Anton did, mm-hmm. he is, you know, it's almost like a sign of, um, it is a sign of respect for one's property because he's yeah. like, I don't want to put my lips on your bottle. That's gross. But then it's almost like saying, you may have control over the innocent, but I'm coming after you, right? Mm-hmm. I have control over you. And so it becomes this cat and mouse. Yeah, I would say the film, not really a sidebar, but I would say the film as a whole is a, a, a giant, very deadly game of cat and mouse. Yes, and I think that going into it and watching it for the first time, that's all you think this movie's going to be. Yeah, and it's... Not. Not. Not even close. Yeah, especially because then you got a lot of cooks in the kitchen with the intro- introduction of Stephen Root's character and Woody Harrelson's character um, with the Mexican cartel also coming back into the play later. Yeah, because I, and we don't even get a... They find Llewellyn at the hotel. So um, we don't even get an explanation of how they did that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, we do. Do we? Yeah. How they find him? Yeah. They were tailing his wife and his mother-in-law. That's right. And he, they wait until Llewellyn's wife walks off and they go in. Well, they do help, but they help his mother-in-law and... Man, I thought that was afterward. They're like, they're like, yeah, so, you know, where, where are you? You know, where are I you could headed? have sworn that was after nope. uh, the hotel. He'd already, he called her and said, meet me well, in well, El Paso. Now, now, hold on. 
I'm talking about Del Rio. Oh, 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 oh. Um, Stephen Root hired him. He gave he gave uh, he gave them a transponder too. Oh, okay. So they also had a transponder to the money. Yes, um, because um, so it was almost kind of like nope, never mind. So it was so how they, he so they both have transponders, and while we're following Anton, mm-hmm. the cartel is also following following Llewellyn. Also, how we find that out is when Anton goes and he kills Stephen Rue. That's right. And his accountant, he's like. He gave them a transponder and then his accountant was like, uh, yeah, he, he, he felt like it would help. And he was like, pretty much like, it doesn't help. One of my favorite moments in that scene is he's talking to the guy, but he's looking, but he's looking at, at Stephen, Stephen Root. Root. Yeah. I love that. I, I always like stuff like that. I, I've always liked stuff like that. It's, w- it's really interesting. I would say the only confusing thing of the film is... I might be able to clear it up for you. Let's find out. Uh, is when... I guess you would say Anton is hired when they go to the scene and he pulls the mm. Vin off of Llewellyn's truck and then he kills the guys who seemingly hired him. I read somewhere it was the unnamed boss had these guys set up the deal. They botched it. And so when they brought in Anton, he killed them because that boss is like, they fucked up. Get rid of them. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, that sounds right. Okay. I I also am confused by that. So I, um, your guess is as good as mine. Because then there's also... Were. I've never really bothered to attribute that to my memory. I don't... I, it never bothered me that I didn't know. Press pause. Yeah. Oh, well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, sorry if all of a sudden this seemed really weird. Whoops. Or we're repeating ourselves. Uh, one of my employees called and uh, she needed some help. And with it being so late, I had to make sure that everything was fine. Uh, but anyway, so like I said, if we repeat ourselves, we're sorry. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, man, it, it is it just adds more to the menacing factor that he's talking to this accountant while Stephen Root is bleeding out on the <laughs> floor. Yeah, it's it's. It's intense. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had to keep telling Haley, I'm like, hey, so uh, people are going to be cleaning their wounds a lot in this movie, so buckle oh, yeah, up. Dude. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I yeah. completely forgot about when uh, when Anton cleans his, oh, his leg. leg. Yeah. Um, That's a dope scene. Oh, it is. For sure. He has to... My man had to cut himself out of those dope pleated pants. I know. Those are great jeans. I know, man. Great jeans. But... I, I love that he he actually had to he had to cut himself out right. of it because you can't just pull him down because number one too tight that's how you know they good jeans but <laughs> also you know he didn't want to like anyway you know you guys know how it works you've seen ER so <laughs> I don't know have they I don't know maybe do you like George Clooney in the first three seasons I like Anthony Edwards but it's neither here nor there so well yeah you love Zodiac so of course you love Anthony Edwards I love Anthony Edwards um all right all right. So let's let's jump right into because I mean we could talk about you know it's cool how he hides the money it's whatever oh I do want to mention um, a little fun fact that the the windbreaker he buys from that uh, from that kid on the Mexico border uh uh-huh. um, is Josh Brolin's high school um, oh that's that's the funny the Templeton Eagles. 
That's um, funny. Yeah. That's really funny. So that's uh, that's where he went to high school. Dude, and that scene is also just, you're really feeling for Llewellyn, my man's bleeding out of every orifice. Yeah. Uh, the only time I was okay with very realistic vomit, uh, as we talked about oh, nice. in yeah. Room for a Dream, realistic vomit in film I have a hard time with. Right. It just skeeves me. But for some reason, this one I was just like, "Oh yeah." Like when I saw it coming, I was like, "Yeah, he's there." Goes his uh, there goes that beer he's been drinking the entire time. Poor guy. Um, I do want to talk briefly about uh, before we move on. He and Carla Jean's sort of relationship. They're uh, they're back and forth. I love that. Yeah. Uh, at the getting place, I'm going to tell people that for the rest of my life. Um, like. Where'd you get the pistol? At the getting place. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, that entire scene. That back yeah. Back. What's in the satchel? Bunch of money. And I love that he, he doesn't try to hide it. Full of money. That'll be the day. Yeah. Uh, love. I, I, and I love his, like, keep running that mouth of yours. I'm going to take you in the back and screw you. <laughs> and then she pops off again. He's like, keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> it's, yeah, dude. They're, they're, they're cute. I like them. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it's so crazy, too, because the actress who plays Carla Jean... Irish. uh, ...is Irish uh, for our uh, Boardwalk Empire fans out there, dog. Steve Buscemi's wife, uh, she also, of course, to our Pixar fans out there, she is Merida. Brave. On Brave. Or to our Harry Potter fans, she is the Lady in Grey. Yes. Um, she's wonderful. Yes, I she am a big is. Fan. She's and, a phenomenal actress. And I just, I'm floored by her accent. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, and her and Josh Brolin have great chemistry. And again, I think that scene Even perfectly. though, you know, they don't, this isn't a relationship movie, so they, you know. It's not like, oh, I love you. Yeah, and, and it's. I love you too. It's so strange, because I don't even think they really touch one another. It's just, you know what I mean? I think the most they, when they touch each other, I think it's. When he sits down next to her on the couch yeah, yeah, and their that, shoulders are yeah, touching. Yeah, their legs and shoulders are touching. That's it. Um, yeah, because even on the bus when he's sending her to Odessa to see her mom, he's he, he's leaning on the back of a chair in the, yeah. in the bus. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the great things, one of the, again, testament to the Coen brothers, we can tell that they do love and care for each other without them having to vomit it to the audience right right, right, right. um because you know she's very worried and he's like oh it's all gonna be fine yeah. we're you know i'm coming back i spoiler promise alert. <laughs> spoiler it's not all fine not fine um especially the ending uh having a very ambiguous ending which i love and we will yeah we'll talk about that. we'll talk about it um, um but anyway yeah 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 they're yeah they're really relationship um, is awesome so okay okay Let's go. Llewellyn, after, you know, trials and tribulations with boots and clothes and... Um, Using his shirt's boots. Yeah, finally getting the money back, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah, he gets the money back. Yes, because Carson finds it. Right. Carson uh, knows where it is. Knows where it is. Why he didn't just retrieve it is a oh, mystery. Woody Harrelson's in the movie. Uh, <laughs> well, I've already said his name like twice. Okay, already, great. So. so, um, I want rain to put this in the description. We'll talk about it a little bit or have a little, little icon up. Yeah. Here. A link or something. Um, 
for Cinefix's um, one of their brilliant moments uh, videos features this scene, and mm-hmm. it starts the video so you don't have to like fast forward or anything. No, but uh, I do very much recommend you guys watch the whole thing and just watch all their videos. Yeah, uh, Cinefix is owned by uh, IGN, so if anyone out there, you know, gamer guys and girls, that's who makes it. Cinefix is. It's the fun part of IGN. Yeah, and I mean, they're just, they're brilliant. They're, you know, it's like they all have PhDs in film studies. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. But anyway, they talk about the scene where um, after after being hired to look for Anton, Anton finds him mm-hmm. and intercepts him at the hotel. They go up to his room and we get this scene. So <sighs> This very in- w- intense scene, which also is... I wouldn't say set up by the previous scene of Carson talking with Llewellyn, but we get key things in that scene that Carson contradicts in this scene. Mm-hmm. One being is Anton's not the type of man you bargain with. Right. And the first thing he does is he bargains with him. Yeah. Uh, further proving that even Carson is scared yeah. of Anton. Terrified. Who wouldn't be? And so we, you know, in... I'll let Cinefix describe it better than I'm about to, but we do get this exchange where with the visual language, we, we can infer that all Anton wants is for Carson to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Right. And he is to an extent, but not enough. Right. Once that phone rings and he jumps, it's over. Right. And Carson knows it. Yeah. Because as Cinefix talks about is they uh you know because i guess it's implied carson knows is on the other end of that line and that's it the fact that he knows and now anton knows without him ever saying a word that's it and again he doesn't want anything from carson except for him to admit it's over right Mm -hmm. that i gotcha and you know that's that's one of the things that drives Anton mm-hmm. is, you know, just having control over everybody. Absolutely. And so um, later we'll get a very similar scene with a little bit of more pushback with Carla Jane and we'll get there. Yeah. Because this is also, there's another video that Cinefix does with this scene. Um, but anyway, so when he, when he kills Carson... Um, I think really his motivation is Carson was specifically hired to stop me, to stop Anton and Anton is sort of maybe a little offended that they think anybody can stop him. Right. Mm -hmm. And he wants to prove not only to Carson, but also to himself that nobody can not even the best. Right. And Carson is this example of the best, right? Mm. If you want to put that in quotes. Um, yeah. And so that's all he wants. And then we, and that's where we get this amazing scene where really it's an establishment shot of Anton, mm-hmm. filler, and then he kills Carson. Because really, yes, the dialogue is important. Yes, the back and forth, the shot reverse shot is important. But really, if you want to think about it in Anton's mind, they're talking about nothing. Because Anton's waiting for one thing, right? Defeat. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to look at it in in Carson's point of view, it's the most important minute 
of Garson's life, right? Mm-hmm. And he ruined it. Well, Llewellyn did. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, and this, well, and the scene is also important because it finally, Llewellyn finally asks for help. It's what we assume why he's calling Carson. Yeah. Is to ask for help. Uh, but yeah, man. And we don't see Woody Harrelson die. We The most we see is his arm kind of shoot up. Yeah, we from get the from the recoil. We get a little blood, and we get a little um, chair filling. Yeah. Um, but I really love uh, Anton's response to his Carson there, not in the sense that you mean, <laughs> like yeah, he's here, but well, his body's here, right? Yeah, uh, I love. Um, okay, Llewellyn dies. So yes, uh, spoiler alert, everyone. Uh, Josh Brolin does not make it to the end of the movie. He does not have a happy ending. No, and in a way, neither do we at this point, because we are so used to this type of story Mm -hmm. that when we get this very strange, you know, we sort of hit a wall where we're like, wait a minute, this movie's about him, right? Mm -hmm. And he dies off screen. Yeah, because we get this... And, you know, we hear the gunshots because we are in the sheriff's car. It's Sheriff Bell, by the way. Um, oh, you looked at that, book. Yeah, I did. So... so when, why do they call him Ed Tom? That's his first and middle name. Oh, okay. So, um, when the sheriff is pulling up to go see Llewellyn... Because Carla Jean has asked, like, sit down with him if it's only you. And he's like, I can do that. So and he's, he's going in thinking... I'm about to, I'm going to have to save his life. Yeah. And he's too late. He is too late. And not in the way he thinks. He's too late because the cartel. Caught up with him. Caught up with him. and kill. So it's not even Anton. Yeah. So what we think throughout the entire film is An- it's Anton versus Llewellyn. Mm-hmm. And that's not even how Llewellyn dies. And we don't even see him die. So we don't even get to see that altercation. Mm-hmm. We- and I think... I think what the film and what the story is trying to imply is that, you know, again, our main character is really Sheriff Bell, right? Yeah. And so this is so unpredictable that in this world is so confusing uh, that when once he gets there, it's not at all what he expected. And it's not at all what we expected. And again, it plays to the theme that, you know, this world is chaotic. Mm-hmm. and scary and you know unsettling and and it's not what we're used to yeah so well and you know and and even the lead up to that is something we haven't even seen at all in the movie you know Llewellyn is having this exchange with a woman by the pool who's mm-hmm. trying to start an affair with him yeah and even though he's flirting back he's not giving him and then it's what we think is a fade to white, but it's actually coming down from the clouds to Sheriff Bell's car. And then, then we yeah, hear all the gunshots. The fade, man. Love it. Because, again, that implies the passage of time, right? A mm. hard cut would have almost been like, you know, almost as if it were just a, an angle change, right? Mm-hmm. But the fade implies the passage of time, right? That's, yeah. that's how fades work in, in, film, in film visual language. Yeah. Um, Llewellyn dies. That's insane. We R. weren't R. expecting that. No. Right? No, not at all. And so, Sheriff 
in forms which I love non-verbally to Carla Jean. Takes his hat off and she just... Loses it. Right. Um, Now we get this next scene where he goes back to the hotel room. Mm -hmm. And the lock is missing. uh, Similar to Llewellyn's uh, trailer. Yes. Right? Um, Because Anton has shot it. Which uh, is... Across the room. Tight. Yeah. To use a bolt gun to pop the lock out. So cool, right? So now we, again, we have been, the rug is out from under us already, from Llewellyn's death. Mm. Yet the audience, in, in for sure me, was like, okay, put the rug back because Anton's going to kill the sheriff and that's going to be it. Mm. Okay. And, and they... Because that's how these things work. And, and they lean into that. We see Anton behind the door, and he's... We don't see the gun, but we... Well, we can kind of see, we can kind of see a shotgun, but he's ready. And you're like, oh, don't kill Tommy Lee Jones. But don't it's inevitable, t- right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. It doesn't happen. Nope. Right? Again, rug, gone. Yeah. Uh, he checks the room. Doesn't see anything, and then that's when he notices the uh, the grate on the um, air conditioner is gone, and he kind of knows, like, he got the money. He got the money. Um, coolest hiding spot, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole thing. That's an oops I forgot for later. Um, <laughs> so, now we catch up with Carla Jean. Her mom has died. Because she got the cancer. Which Donnie Darko fans out there. Which I love. Yeah. Got the cancer. She's amazing. I've seen her in countless things, and she's wonderful. I love this actress. So, um, forgot her name. Or never knew it. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, and again, a traditional film would have been, that would have been Llewellyn, mm-hmm. right? It's not. It's her mom. We're done with Llewellyn. Yeah. Right? Um, she goes back to the house, and there's Anton. She knows who he is. Okay? Mm-hmm. She She knows he's the man who's been chasing her husband, but I think she realizes that's not the man who killed my husband, right? Right. And and then they have this exchange. Mm-hmm. He does the coin flip, but she's not having any of it. She is defiant. Yeah. Which he's not used to. And he's used to people being so afraid that they answer him. And I love what she says to him. Uh, you know what you're going to do. The, the coin doesn't define your decision. Right. You know what you're going to do, regardless of what I say. And and then we get this Cinefix-worthy video. Is he walks out of the house, and what does he do? He checks his boot. Which we get a little implication of why in the Carson scene where he lifts his feet up because the blood is coming towards him so he doesn't get it on his boots right so okay so I maybe I'm wrong does he kill Carla Jean I'm I'm split on one hand I don't think he does because she was so defiant and she was like no and being a man of principles Finally, someone's kind of standing up to him. He was like, okay. Ashley disagrees with me, which... Uh, I also. I, uh, I'm going to point this out. My uh, 
my wife read ahead as we're watching the movie and she was like, oh, Josh Brolin dies and he gets away with it? Okay, well, never mind then. I'm like, just watch the movie with me. But she disagrees. She, he, she thinks he does. Now, that's why I say I'm torn because of him checking his boots. He would only do that if he wanted to make sure there was no blood or any evidence here's, on them. Here's another reason why you should think he did. Okay. Is the hard cut to him in his car. Because I was also going to bring that up too. And it's mid-step. Uh, Cinefix brings this up as well. That it's so unusual that he is in the middle of an action when there's a hard cut to him in, the, in his car. It's this jump cut that mm. um, implies... He got away with it. So here's, here's, I, I don't disagree, but here's the thing. Here's my other kind of smoking gun that he didn't do it. He's driving a different car. Carla Jean pulls up in a green car. He's and driving, usually he switches cars. He's driving a blue car. And we don't see that car anywhere else. So that's an interesting interpretation, but I'm going to stick with he killed Carla Jean. He, kill, he killed Carla Jean. Yeah. Only because that's more fun for me. <laughs> And I think it makes the ending so much better if, again, he just keeps getting away with it. And he pretty much he does. And he does because of the car crash. So the car crash, we think, finally. Every, he's he's going to get everything he deserves. You know, we I mean, again, it scares the shit out of you when he gets hit. But Oh, yeah, cause uh, again, out of nowhere. Like, once your heart starts back up, he, you, you're like, finally, he's going to get caught, right? And he doesn't. He just walks away, and that's it. Uh, that's a wrap on Anton Sugar. Mm-hmm. He has gotten away with it. He's gone. Now we get my favorite part of this film is the very end. So, here we go. The dream. Tommy Lee Jones is uh, having a hard time enjoying his retirement. I think it's because... He he doesn't like the reason why. He doesn't like that he doesn't... He can't do his job because he doesn't understand... Criminals. The, right. No. He doesn't understand... This, this new wave of criminals. Right. The world has changed and left him behind. And, mm-hmm. he, and he doesn't like that he can't do what he wants. He can't serve and protect this world he doesn't understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um... So he tells two dreams. One, insignificant. I'm not even going to talk about it. I think it's important, yes, but I think this the last one is really what wraps the film in a nice bow. Where when I was 14, I loved it. I didn't get it. Here's my interpretation. Okay. He talks about him and his dad in older times. They're on horseback. His dad rides on ahead with a horn of fire into this dark and cold. And he assumes he's going to build a fire and he knows when he's going to get there, he'll be there. Okay. Well, and you left out the part where he said that he, his dad, he's older than his dad was now. So in the dream, his dad is the younger man. Right. So here's my interpretation. Okay. And I'm sure I didn't read anything about this. This is just what I think. Okay. I think that, first off, let's talk about they're in older times. It's one of the first things he says. So he's already putting himself back in a comfortable state of mind. 
Mm-hmm. He's not in this scary, new, unpredictable world. He's in simpler times, right? Right. He says it without saying it. And then his father's there. Someone he finds comfort in, someone that he trusts and that he loves, right? Mm-hmm. And he sees his dad ride on towards uncertainty, the unknown, and in the dark, mm-hmm. right? So he's afraid for his father. He's he's seeing a young man go towards this, the unknown. Right. Right. And he almost feels like he needs to protect his father, right? Warn him almost Mm -hmm. that what he's going towards, which could be the future, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is not something that he wants any part of. Right. You're not, you won't make it. This isn't what you think. Right. Right. And at the end when he says, I knew when I'd got there, he'd be there knowing, meaning I know no matter what, someone's going to be there with me and for me. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be my dad who they're almost comforting one another. And then he woke up. And then, I mean, it's the best, man. I love this movie. (laughs) I can't get enough of this movie. What did you think about the dream? So, okay. And ending with the dream. So I actually, I should have. I usually try to. I didn't look up anything about the dream. I I saw it as sort of a, a way that he's maybe trying to feel more comfortable about death. Mm-hmm. You know, especially with the, I knew when I got there, I'd be, you know, we'd be fine. Almost like saying that once, you know, once I catch up with my dad, everything will be fine. You know, I I should have looked into it a little bit more. Maybe, because I meant to mention this at the beginning of the episode, but when I told my mom you were going to do this movie, she hounded me that I had to read the book. Oh, really? Okay. She's I have like, not read the book. She was like, even though the, the movie is great, you have to read the book to truly understand what Cormac McCarthy was 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 saying mm. as so maybe maybe in the book there not necessarily is an explanation but a little bit more of, of understanding of what this dream there is something to seeing it written down versus hearing it right and so i mean there's a there's a crazy difference between um what we do which is sort of film analysis mm. and um Literature analysis. Those two things are completely different. Trust me, I did a semester of it in grad school. (laughs) It's so hard. Yeah, but but yeah, I just find the dreams very. I mean, they are strange, but you know, the thing with dreams is it's our subconscious telling us something. And you know, and he's already you know Tommy Lee Jones has already established that this world is not for him anymore. Um. Even that little conversation he has... With his uncle. Or, I'm sorry, did I jump ahead of you? No, with um, with the other lawman at the Oh, diner. in El Paso, yeah. Yeah, about the the kids with green hair and bones in their noses. Yeah. Like, they just... Not only is it the criminals, but it's also just the world in general. Yeah, uh, they, they have become uh, good old boys. 
you know, and, and, you know, and something that we learned in, in the history of the world is you either change or you get left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and which was our theme last week, by the way, with uh, Sunset Boulevard. Yes. Yes. Um, and, but in Tommy Lee Jones's case, the world has already left him behind. He almost, he didn't have a chance to try right. to catch up. It was, it was over before he knew it. Like yeah. he didn't realize how left behind he was or how far behind he was until, until it was too late. Yeah. So to answer, <laughs> to answer the question, I don't know what the dreams meant. Just my only interpretation is it, it, it's uh, almost him trying to comfort himself with inevitable death. Okay. And that's really all I've got for it. That's right. You know, um, but I love the film. I didn't really get to gush as much as I wanted to. But I, lo- I <laughs> again, I love Joel and Ethan Cohen. Uh, as we've said, the hundredth episode will be The Big Lebowski, um, one of my all-time favorite films. Um, we've done Inside Lewin Davis. We will do Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Um, they didn't do a serious man. That was they Tom. Did. They did okay. I want to see that because that's got our boy Michael Stahlberg mm-hmm. in it. Um, I've never heard of the other one you mentioned from them. Blood Simple? Yeah. That was their first movie. Oh. Okay. I'm about the Oh, and I got and I have to see Fargo too. Oh Fargo. I almost so forgot good. about Fargo. Fargo's so good. Um but yeah, man, I love the film. It's it's got unreal cinematography. The Cohen brothers Roger Deakins, by the way, is the cinematographer for Yeah. So I mean that should tell you right off the bat. Oh, it's yeah. gonna look good. Yeah, and and I just love the Cohen brothers. They're they I I feel like they are underappreciated a lot, um, and then they just knock it out of the park every time, you know. Yeah, most times. Well, I know I know how you feel about them. <laughs> how some of the films you love and others you're like, yeah, like. Uh, Burn after reading sucks. I cannot stand. Oh, Burn I forgot after they reading. did that one. I cannot stand Burn After Reading. That's another one uh, I, and I will still never still to this day I don't get it. Hail Caesar? I'm, ne- I'm never seeing it. So oh, that's right. I need to watch Hail Caesar. Uh, I'm never seeing it. So uh, anyway. Anyway. Uh, love it. The cast is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, man. I'm really glad you decided to your final pick is a uh, Coen Brothers movie. I don't. I didn't even think of it. I just thought of it as a Kermit McCarthy and one of you know one of my favorites. Uh, so Jeremy, yes, are you ready to wrap up? Wrap up. Wrap up. I am. Um, I'm really glad I ended with this one. Um, next season is nothing but strange films. So uh, films that break traditional norms in filmmaking. So that's perfect um, i'm glad you kind of picked that because so uh, anything weird and strange um barring some of your no list um i think i might go ahead and say my first pick for next season oh dude should i, I was, tease i was i was just about to say i think i already have my first pick for next season so it will be that will open season six, six will be my first pick and it's going to be irreversible so, mm. uh, this is going to be Gaspier knows, uh, film. And, um, I'm really excited uh, to talk about, uh, irreversible. Well, so that'll be we'll, next week. We'll give a little, oh, that'll be next, next, next season. That'll be next season. That'll be next uh, season. And uh, it'll kick off my strange. Well, uh, 
I, well, and I, I'd like this season. I'm going to try to lean into that. There are some films I definitely want to talk about next season that probably will not fit into the category of strange. Uh, but I'll give a little tease for my first pick. <laughs> and that's House, man. Oh, House. Yeah. Right uh, on, man. Yeah. I'm not going to go into it, but yeah. Right uh, on, House. House. Not the TV show, which I love, by the way, but not the TV yeah, show. Yeah, we're not going to start talking about TV shows now. That would, <laughs> that would take, the episodes would be like five hours long. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Jeremy. Yes, sir. You already know, but are you I ready do. to know uh on camera at least what our end of season series is it going to be about yeah yeah i'm excited so as i mentioned at the beginning of this episode i wanted to i've always wanted to talk about these films but i i never felt like something when it was the right time to talk about these films um and i don't know there's something hit me after i picked my my mel brooks-a-thon back in season four right Mm-hmm. Season four? Yeah. No, season three. My bad, because season four was our Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of hit me. Like I was like, it would be perfect for an end-of-season series. So I should mention, our end-of-season series have always been four episodes. The fourth typically being the final film and then the kind of conclusion of everything. This one will only be three episodes, because there's only three movies in this trilogy. And we will be discussing Edgar Wright's Cornetto Trilogy. Now, if anyone doesn't know what that is, uh, that is the three films starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Uh, Taking three subjects that all these guys love and ramping it up and just adding comedy to it. Um, Of course, I'm sure everyone should know of Shaun of the Dead. I do know uh, Hot Fuzz and The World's End is a little bit more... Yeah. Those I, are a little bit more... I have not seen World's End. <sighs> I've only well, seen the other two. Uh, a little tease for the, the season finale. Uh, the World's End is the one that they consider the silliest. Okay. That's the one they were like, yeah, that's the silliest of the three. <laughs> I disagree. I think Hot Fuzz is the silliest. Is the silliest? Even though they're not making fun of police uh, mm. or anything like that, they are uh, in their own kind of twisted comedy way. They're honoring the the police. Um, but so to start this season, uh, this series, it would of course starts with the very first movie of Shaun of the Dead. So Shaun of the Dead will be next week. Next week, cool. that'll be two zombie films in season five. Um, oh so Jeremy, yes, sir. Since my end of season series only has three episodes. That means the final episode is this bonus episode. Yes, it's this bonus episode. So, um, I I like when, um, sort of, you know, like if someone were to like do a show like what we do, uh-huh. and they sort of step back and they sort of talk about something a little different. And so, what we are going to discuss is how we got into film in the first place. What okay. makes us love film so much? What sparked this this passion and this curiosity? I I think it would be a fun conversation to just sit and talk about not just one film in particular, but what what started our our wanting to do this, our our passion. So. You know, that's that's so funny that you want to do that because this, that was sort of the idea of how the podcast was birthed uh was let's just talk about movies 
why we like movies. And then the more I had you on, the more it snowballed into, let's just deep dive into one movie every episode, which of course we've hit a, a groove with this now. Yeah. But that, that'll be nice to yeah, kind of yeah. take a, just a bit of a break yeah. from, uh, no from everything. No need to do research, watch a movie or whatever. I mean, no. you can if you want, I mean, but yeah. nothing's going to stop you, but no. I mean, you don't have to. Don't stop me now. Oh my God. Queen. Queen. <laughs> Uh, that, that for sure we can't use that when we do Shaun of the Dead because <laughs> you, you so know we'll get in trouble for that one. Someone will find that one. Oh, yeah. That's no doubt. Um, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gwen Stefani, Gwen Stefani. No doubt, no All doubt. right, everyone. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, of course, we will be. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'll see you in the next few days to do Shaun of the Dead. Yes, I'll see you like in three days. <laughs> so hopefully everyone uh, gets a chance to listen and watch and enjoy before we really get into the end of season finale uh, series which i'm like again i'm so excited to talk about i love those films uh i love edgar wright we will do baby driver eventually. uh eventually um now i do also want to mention that uh don't touch that dial because <laughs> what, is, what, is it, what are you adam west yeah. don't, don't touch that bad dial uh, yeah, uh, same bad time, same bad channel. So <laughs> don't touch that dial because we are, if Rain did his job right, we will be uh, ending with uh, Tommy Lee Jones's dream. Uh, so yes. uh, because there is no music in this film, that's why we opened with the narration and now we're going to close with uh, the dream. So Yes. So again, we hope everyone enjoyed No Country for Old Men. We'll see you next week for our series, The Cornetto Trilogy. How'd you sleep? I don't know. I had dreams. Well, you got time for them now. Anything interesting? They always is to the party concerned. And Tom, I'll be polite. All right, then. Two of them both had my father in them. It's peculiar. I'm older now than he ever was by 20 years. So, in a sense, he's the younger man. Anyway, the first one I don't remember too well, but it was about meeting him in town somewhere and he gave me some money. I think I lost it. The second one, it was like we was both back in the older times and I was a horseback going through the mountains of the night, going through this pass in the mountains. It was cold and there was snow on the ground and he would, Rode past me and kept on going. Never said nothing going by. Just rode on past. He had his blanket wrapped around him, his head down. When he rode past, I seen he was carrying fire and a horn the way people used to do. And I, I could see the horn from the light inside of it, about the color of the moon. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. He's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there and all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up.